Hello everybody, my name is Pat Hogarty and welcome back to California Real Estate Practice, Real Estate 310. This happens to be our second show. Last, uh, last time that we met during the first show, we had discussed the fact that we had just completed the course orientations. And then what I did is I covered the materials that we would be, uh, or went over the uh, topics that we would be covering during the course. Uh, I think there's something like 15 chapters in the book, so I pretty much went chapter by chapter about the information that was covered in the course. One of the things that I want to mention to you uh, is the fact that I had told you all during the course orientation and also during the first show, and I think near the end of the first show I also showed you, uh, the fact that e after each show that I'm going and encoding uh, the f uh, the show. In other words, essentially what that means is I'm taking the video file that we've created as a result of this file and I'm setting it up so that it can be streamed. So I've completed that process for the first show. I've actually put it up onto the web servers so it's all available for you to have access to. In a minute out here I'll show you in Blackboard where I put an announcement up about it. And then I'm going to give you a quick little demonstration here of how it actually works. But uh, suffice it to say, I think we had space up here, suffice it to say that uh, the purpose of this concept is so that if you are at home and you miss a show or you want to watch something over and over again and you want to watch it at 3 o'clock in the morning, if that's okay with you, you can do that. All you're going to need to have is a, some form of a high-speed connection such as a DSL or cable modem if you happen to be at home. If you're at work, you'll have something like maybe a T1 line and you'll have to have Windows Media Player. And if you're running Windows XP, which is the most current version, you'll need Windows Media Player 10. And if you're running Windows 98, Windows ME, or Windows 2000, you'll need Windows Media 9 Player. In fact, if you downloaded it and went to install it, it would actually detect which version of the operating system you had and which version you have. And so the whole idea is that you'll have this available for you to watch it as many times and as often as you want to. Okay, so there's a lot of efforts going into this, and I want you all to try it. You know, I want to know what the bugs are. I want to know what works, what doesn't work. And if you do have some problem with it, I'd like you to let me know what the situation is. You know, like, for example, I was, you know, at my, you know, you don't have to tell me I was at my grandmother's house or something like that, but I, I need to know, you know, what time of the day or if you were having some issues with it to find out what the problem is. What I'm going to do is I'm going to move over here for a minute to Blackboard. And I'm going to go ahead and bring this up on the Blackboard Plasma screen, and I'm going to read this announcement that I sent out. And as I also mentioned to you during the uh, course orientation, I do two things whenever I try to keep in contact with you. Number one is I put an announcement up on the Blackboard website, and the second thing is I also send you all an email. And I mentioned to you that you all needed to update your email address, and I explained how to do that during the orientation. The reason why is because that's the quickest way that, you know, that way people will say to me, well, you know, do I need to check the Blackboard every day? And I said, no, as long as I have your email address, I will send you things when are appropriate. And whenever you log on to just, you know, email your friends or go on the Internet, boom, up will come the email and you'll say, oh, I need to check for something. But I'm going to read, I also put an announcement on the web page, so I'll read what this announcement says. It says, says hi, everybody. It says, and, and I think the title to this, when you get it in the email, it says, First Class Broadcast Ready for Viewing on the Internet is what I called it. 
says, hi everybody, I just completed uploading and linking show one, first class broadcast. In Blackboard, just click on the TV show button, which is over here on the left hand side, and then click on show one, which I'll show you in a minute. Uh, next, depending upon where you are, you're either going to click on the link that's your on-campus, on-campus meaning here at Sacramento City, or you're off-campus, okay, and I'll show you that in a minute. Uh, after that, it says the first class provided, and this is just giving you an idea of what was in the first class. It said the first class provided an overview of the course and discussed the topics that will be covered during the course. At the end of the show, there was a discussion on how the streaming media worked, and I did that. I showed you how it worked. Uh, you know, you could actually see it on the screen here. Uh, please remember that there are both an on-campus link and an off-campus link. Depending upon where you are located, make sure that you use the correct link. The reason why is that if you are off-campus and try to use the on-campus link, you'll get an error message. And the reason why is because it's a firewall thing. In other words, it's stopping traffic from coming on and off. We're trying to lower the, you know, the amount of traffic. So if you're on-campus, it'll work fine. If you're off-campus, it won't. Conversely, if you're on campus and use the off-campus link, you're going to find out that it's going to be really slow. And you could sit there for a couple hours before something's going to work. But if you're off campus, it'll work fine. And, and I could spend hours explaining why it's set up like that, but just suffice it to say, say, where am I sitting, where am I located, and collect the appropriate link. Um, after that, it says, please try the streaming media to view the show. I created the system to meet your student needs. This is to meet your needs, okay, whenever you need it. Uh, thanks for taking the class. See you on TV. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to click the TV show link here. You'll notice the first part of this, the first statement I have up at the top is it just says, listen, if you don't have Windows Media Player 10 or whatever the media player is, you click here and I believe it will take you out to the Microsoft website and you'll be able to click and download it. Now if you have an earlier version of Windows, what will happen is the system will detect what version you have. So you may you, there's no such thing as Windows Media Player 10 for, for Windows 2000, for example. You use Windows Media 9, the system will detect it. Okay? So you download it and install it. So I put that on there. Okay? And then underneath Show 1, when you click on Show 1, you're going to notice I'll have Show 1 and I'll have a description of what was covered on Show 1, like a brief synopsis of what was in Show 1. And then when you click on show one, what's going to happen is you'll see it open up and very cleanly it'll say, are you on campus or off campus? If you click the on campus link, you will see this and hopefully things never work when I'm trying to demonstrate them. But anyway, you will see this screen open up. It'll take usually about 10 or 15 seconds or maybe as much as a minute. And what'll start to happen is you'll start to see it play in your screen. And you'll be able to watch the show Okay, I think Bob's bringing up some sound. You can hear it coming across. And uh, you'll be able to sit there, pause it, you know, replay it again, watch it as many times as you want. Okay, I think that's cool. A lot of work went into that. Uh, a lot of technology to make that happen to meet your needs, okay? And I think I'll wait until I say hello. Uh, hello, hello, everybody. My Remember name is that? Scott Ogerty. And welcome to California Silly little Real thing. Estate Practice. There it is. Picture in a picture. This happens to be our first show. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and close uh, out of here. Do I have any course. questions about that at all? Okay, none? Okay. Pretty jazzed up, pretty excited about that. Okay, what we're going to do now is we're going to move into Chapter 1. As I mentioned before, what I'm going to be doing, you're going to find out, is that I'm going to be utilizing the book a lot. I'm going to be recommending that anytime you watch the show or you're here on campus that you, you have your book with you because I'm actually going to be referring to specific pages. You're going to see me bring up pages up on the screen up here. 
The concept is is that you'll be able, as you're watching, to say, you know, wait a minute, what, you know, maybe it's something important. I, if you look at a lot of my books that I have, they look like they've been trashed. I have writing all over them, marks all over them, you know, hey, this is important, you know, whatever it helps to remember. So that's why I do this. I make sure I pull it up. So we're going to start right at the basics in the beginning now. We're going to start in Chapter 1. We're going to start on something called the salesperson. And I'm going to cover some general generic topics. We're probably going to be doing this for this show and the next show in Chapter 1, uh, which will be, uh, be show two. This is Show 2, probably Show 3. And then Show 4 is where we're going to be moving into the second chapter, and we'll also be talking about the business plan. So I want you to all be aware of where we are with doing this. So anyway, in this chapter, they talk about enter the salesperson. The concept is that, you know, for real estate to really do anything, for people to buy and sell our houses to move around, believe it or not, we need to have you guys. We need to have real estate agents to make that happen. It's really important because you're the ones that list the houses for sale. You're the ones that help the clients find houses, decide to sell them, help them find mortgages, help them find the right title company, escrow company. Uh, termite company. In other words, that's your responsibility. You're very important to the transaction. Without the real estate broker, in most cases, we would not sell brand new homes. We wouldn't sell used homes. And as you go along in this field, you're going to find out this is not an easy field. If you wonder sometimes why people get paid 6% commission, you're going to realize after you get into it, it's a fairly, fairly complex field. It takes quite a bit of knowledge and quite a bit of talent and quite a bit of organization and tenacity to be successful in the field. So, you know, you're going to find that out as you go. But one of the things that becomes important is that, uh, and we'll be talking about this when we get to the business plan, is, is that when you do decide to go into the real estate business, what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to start making a business plan or writing down your goals, which you're trying to accomplish. It becomes very important. And, it, and when we get into the business plan part, you'll really see how that's important. Because we're not going to be talking about, listen, we're just going to get a bunch of clients. We're going to talk about, hey, where are we going to work? What do the houses sell for in that area? What kind of commission? What is the competition in that area? Those kinds of things are important. We have to put that in some kind of a, of a series of goals that we want to accomplish, and we'll talk more about that. The next thing that they mention here, too, and this is just something you need to know up front, is that you will need to get the support of your family, especially since you're entering a business for the first time. You're going to find out that not in all cases, but in a lot of cases, you're going to be working sometimes some kind of weird whacked hours. You may be working on weekends, you may be working on holidays, you may be working at different times. That's the bad part. The good part is, is if it is your livelihood, you can kind of pick and choose when you kind of go to work. You can build things around your schedule. You can decide, hey, I want to go to work out in the morning from 8 to 9 or 10 or something like that, or I want to play basketball or I want to do something else, and then I want to do my business later. So you can kind of pick and choose, but you do have some kind of weird, whacked hours that you're going to be working, and you want to let your family know that. Okay, really, really kind of important. It's a family thing. Anytime you go into any kind of business. A um, couple things that they mention that you need to be aware of, and there's two ways that you can enter, not two ways, but several ways you can enter the real estate business. One of the ways that you can enter it is on a part-time basis. So, in other words, you could be in a situation where uh, you decide, listen, you know what, I work for the state of California, the county of Sacramento, I work for Intel, I work for somebody. And what I want to do this is I want to do it on a part-time basis. And you may elect to do that because you're the kind of person that likes to do things fairly gradually. Or you may be deciding in some cases, listen, I'm going to be retiring in the next four, five, six years, and I kind of want to get a career on the ground now and start get working. So I'm going to enter this on a part-time basis. But the concept of having some money and savings 
is the fact that if you are electing to do this as a full-time business, full-time occupation, then you do want to be cognizant of the fact that you do need to have some money put away. Because as I mentioned before, regardless of any kind of business that you're going to get into, you're going to have a period of time that it's going to take you to gear up, to gen up, to get going. And you may find out, we've had real estate agents in here as guest speakers and say, hey, I was in the business three, four, five months before I actually saw my first paycheck. Okay, so you kind of have to kind of keep that in mind that you will have to have a certain amount of savings put aside to work if you're going to enter it on a full-time basis. Uh, the next thing that they mention here I think that's important for you to know is, is that sometimes people say, well, listen, uh, how do I go about finding a broker that I'm going to work for? Well, one of the things that you're going to be surprised about is the minute that you go down and take your, your exam, your sales exam, you're going to end up getting tons of letters in the mail inviting you down to all the local brokerages because they want to recruit you. They figure, hey, listen, if this person has spent the time and the effort to get a real estate license, what I think is important is that maybe we ought to invite them down and see if we can get them to come to work for us. So you are going to get a lot of people. They will know the minute you register for your license that, you know, that you're available and you're interested in doing it. So you will get contacted that way, okay? So we just want to kind of mention that to you. Uh, just go ahead and move over to the uh, next thing. A um, couple things that we want to uh, mention when you're looking at the fact of actually figuring out who you're going to work for, and we'll talk about this more in the business plan, is that when you, you are used to the fact that when you decide that you're going to get a job with the state, Kaiser Hospital, whoever it happens to be, that you're in the interview and you're trying to sell yourself. You know, you're trying to tell them that you'll do anything in the world in order to get the job. It's a little bit different when you're interviewing with brokers. What you're trying to do is you want to interview not with one broker, not with two, probably at least three or more. Now, you don't want to get to the point that you get all done and you've interviewed 20 or 30 brokers and you know where they're all located and you still haven't made a decision. But the point is what you're looking for is you're trying to find something that is a fit for you. In other words, you want to consider the things like, is this close to my house? Do I get along with the broker? Okay, is it an office that I want to work in? Do I feel comfortable with it? Some of you may say, you know what, I really don't want to work in a big office. I don't like a big office. I don't feel comfortable there. I like a small office. I want to have a, a boutique office. I want to have three or four people there. That's where I want to work. So what you have to do is you have to find out, you're, while you're selling yourself, you also have to find out whether this is a place that you want to work, whether you really realistically want to work there, and you want to take that very seriously. And you're going to get a lot of different opinions and a lot of different advice. And one thing I want to keep, keep, in, keep in mind is you're getting this advice and these opinions so that you can form your own personal advice and your own personal opinion on what you think is going to work best. So that's why you're doing this interview process so that you get very familiar with what is actually out there. The thing that becomes very difficult is to go with a company Tell all of your friends, all of your neighbors, all of the people that you know that you're in the business, get your business cards printed, get signs made and everything else, and then realize two or three months later that you don't want to work for that company anymore. You've now spent a lot of time, a lot of energy, and maybe a lot of advertising to tell people that you work for this company. And now what you've got to do is you're going to change your mind and go off through the whole thing over again. So that's why it's really important. It's kind of like in a business where you're starting like a donut shop or a coffee shop or an ice cream pot, you know, three of my most favorite places to go to. What you want to do, that's why they say when you're looking to start the business, you're looking for the appropriate or the right location. 
You know, you want to locate your business in the right place. It's the same thing when you're an agent. You want to be working for the right person because once you make that decision, you're about ready to start putting a lot of time and effort into making that happen. So you want to take it very seriously. Um, it talks about um, appointments, setting up an appointment. You're going to want to set up an appointment when you go talk to the broker. You're going to want to think about what kinds of costs are going to be associated. In other words, you want to sit there and you want to say, you know, you're going to be talking about things like how much commission am I going to get paid? You know, after you get all said and done, you're going to be finding out, okay, am I going to be on a 50-50 split with you? In other words, when we get commission, you get half and I get half. Is it going to be 60-40, 70-30? What is it going to be? Uh, am I going to have to put a nickel or a dime in the copy machine every time I make a copy, or are you going to pay for that? Are you going to pay for the phone? You know, what are the costs that are associated with it? What kind of floor time am I going to get? Are you going to assist me in the advertising? Are, you know, what is it that you're going to be doing? Okay? And you also want to double-check that information. You know, you really want to make sure that what you're getting is correct. Okay? And the way that you find out what is the right answer is by doing the interviews. The thing that I like to do is, is like it's, for example, if you're hiring somebody to do work on your house, like I've hired people to do, you know, like replace a roof, complete roof, you know, because that's somebody that's 19, 20 years old does that kind of stuff, not somebody that's 56 years old. But, you know, when you hire them and they come out and they visit with you and they look at the roof and they tell you what they're going to charge and everything else, you're going to realize that you're not only getting a price, but you're also getting an idea of what, requ what the requirements are for you to replace the roof because everybody that comes out is going to share some additional knowledge with you. So that's the idea. By you interviewing with every one of these brokers, three or four of these brokers, you're going to be picking up additional information that will help you. And you're going to say, hey, I heard this here. Do they provide that there? So you'll be ha having a, you're building a wealth of knowledge of what's the best decision. It's like shopping. Um, you want to know who pays the expenses whether it's you or them, okay? And uh, they give you on here a list of some of the expenses that you would be looking for that you would be wondering whether or not they pay for or you pay for. And some of these things would be, for example, like who pays for the signs? You know, the for sale signs. Do they pay for it? Do you pay for it? Who, who, ha who puts up the signs? Nowadays, there are services that go out and put these, you know, for sale signs up and take them down. Well, what does that cost? Who pays for it? Does the broker pay for it? Do you pay for it? You know, it's, it makes sense that if the broker is going to get paid a certain amount of commission, then they should be bearing some of the costs. I would think they would, at least. Uh, who's going to pay for the multiple listing system, the business cards, any stationery, any magazines and newspaper advertisements? You're going to start to see if you open up the Sacramento Bee on a Saturday or Sunday or get a local newspaper or a magazine that a lot of real estate agents are spending a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of money advertising. You know, there's a lot of time and a lot of effort putting into making that telephone ring. That's what you want to do. You want the telephone to ring, and you're finding people are putting that effort in there. So who's paying for that? Is it the broker? Is it the agent who's paying for it? And if so, is there a split amongst them? Who pays for telephones? Desk, desk fees are something that you're going to hear as a term. It's basically, the concept is you get your real estate license, you're going to be placing it with a real estate brokerage. There has to be some way that they're going to be thinking about how they're going to be charging you some costs or how they're going to do it. They could say to you, listen, uh, don't worry, there's no cost because of the fact that we're going to take, you know, 60% of your commission, <laughs> okay? Or you may find out if you hear where somebody says that you're on a 100% commission basis, well, guess what? They're not going to give you something for nothing. You're going to be paying a desk fee. Essentially what that means is you'll be paying so much per month 
and then after you pay that or after you've paid so much money then your commission becomes hundred percent after that so you're going to want to know how that's worked out okay and those fees can vary you know uh, you know it can be anywhere from a 50, 100, 200, 300, 400, it depends upon what kinds of services they have and make available. Uh, trade magazines, uh, yellow pages, advertisements, anything like that, you, these are things that are just things you want to be thinking about are the costs that you need to know about. Uh, you're going to want to know what the new salesperson requirements are. When you get hired, you're going to find out some brokerages, the larger brokerages like Lion, uh, Colwell Banker, uh, Keller Williams, Remax provide training. So they may very well say to you, listen, before, when, as soon as you get hired, we're going to put you in a training program for the next you know, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, whatever, before we ever have you go out. So you want to find out what those requirements are going to be. Do I have a question from the gentleman on the right-hand side up here in the front row? Could you push the button? Okay, push the button. Push it and hold it. Hold it. Now talk. Now, um, are you saying that we, that we find all this out during the interview process as, as, as we're going through, through different... Uh Keep holding the button until you finish. He's a trial guy. Remember, you hold the button until it's red, until you finish your question, then you let the button go, right? Okay. Now, are you saying we do all this, we ask these questions and find all this information out during the interview process with each individual uh, broker? Right, right. Okay. What's going to happen is, is that if you properly prepare for an interview, you should have, and you'll see that as a result of this business plan we talked about, you should have already kind of figured out where you want to work, you know, at least geographically. You should have narrowed it down to which brokerage companies are in the area, if you're going to be in the brokerage business. If you're going to be in the mortgage business, which mortgage companies are in the area, if you, whatever. So now you have a list of those companies. When you go in there, it's, I feel very comfortable walking in with a notebook or a clipboard and sitting there and talking to them, you know. I mean, you're going to find out as a real estate agent, you're going to be carrying a lot of paper with you, <laughs> lots of paper. And so it's not uncommon for you to have paper. So, you know, you're going to sit down, have the coffee, eat their donuts, have a nice little conversation, and then you're going to get to a point and they're going to ask you, is there any questions that you may have? And you say, I just happen to have a few. The questions you're going to ask are the ones that they didn't answer during the interview. The things that help clear you up in your mind. You'd say, okay, we talked about this and this. Well, one thing we didn't talk about is who's going to pay for the copy machine? <laughs> okay, who's going to pay for the phone call? So you want to know. And the reason why is, is, and I'll show you in a minute, when you sign your actual employment agreement with them, it's going to list what it is that you're going to have to be paying. That's the agreement that's going to say what the commission splits are, what fees you're going to pay, or any addendum. So you're going to want to know that up front because by the time you get ready to sign that agreement, you're down to the point where you've made the decision because you like the age of the brokerage from a strategic standpoint. Now you're getting down to the fine details. And so you want to know what they are up front. Okay, it's just good business. Um, so what are the new person requirements? Some of the other things that you're going to need to do, it says a four-door car is always preferable to showing. So some of the other things you're going to need to know is if you're going to be taking clients around, you're going to need to find out that you're going to have to have a car. I mean, as silly as that may sound, you're going to have to have one of those things to take people around and show them properties, okay? Um, you're going to have to take a look at something called errors in admissions insurance. Errors in admissions does not mean fraud. It's not fraud insurance. It's not where you've made something and you've fraudulently taken money away from people. It means that you have filled out a contract and you have done everything in your power to do the contract correctly, but there's something that you have done where you have made an error 
you haven't done anything fraudulently. You erred in what you did. You maybe put down the wrong amount of acreage or the wrong amount of square footage. You didn't intend to do that. You made an error. It's a mistake. Uh, you know, the client, you told them as far as you knew that the square footage of the house was, um, I don't know, 2,000 square foot, and you believed that you were correct, and then after you made it out and they bought it and they measured it, and you found out that you made an error because you transcribed it wasn't 2,000 feet, it was actually 1,800 square feet. That's an error. You know, where you honestly and truly did everything in your power to do it right, you just made an error. Uh, so that's what errors and omissions are. Omissions is that you, you forgot to do something. Okay, and what it is is insurance. It's a professional insurance that covers that. So you want to find out what that costs and who's going to pay for that. Okay, again, it's not fraud. It's that you created an error, and you're going to want to become familiar with that. Um, okay, so I think we pretty much have that. Uh, the next page talks about something called. Uh, let me see if I can get this thing in here right. Talks about uh, what kind of training will you receive. It stands to reason that because the real estate broker is, is responsible for supervising your professional activities, professional, I don't mean what kind of coffee you drink, I don't mean when you take a coffee break, I don't mean when you come to work or go home, or whether you wear a suit and tie or not, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about they're responsible for looking at your contracts to make sure that you are doing things correctly. And if they, if, you, if they sign off and they should have caught something, then it's their license on the line. So before they're going to turn you loose <laughs> out on the community, normally they will put you through some form of a training program. And that training program will take five systems like we talk about in this class, such as a purchase offer or a listing agreement, and they will spend hours going over that agreement. I mean, they will talk in great detail about the law what's required, the appropriate way to fill it out, how many copies are required, when to complete disclosure statements. I mean, all of these things are important. They probably will go with you to make sure, darn sure you're not telling somebody something that's wrong that they're going to get in trouble with. You know, so what kind of training? Now, some of that training can be provided by them in-house, and some of the training is provided, for example, by the Sacramento Association of Realtors, like our internship classes there, uh, the class, the students that we have right now. They're not only able to, uh, they're, they're taking some additional classes free of charge through the board. That doesn't cost them any money on things like maybe how to fill out a contract correctly, okay? Those important issues. So that's important. Um, okay. Next thing is they talk about what is, uh, you're going to want to know what your portion of your commission is. Very, very important. Very important. There is no free lunch. If somebody tells you that they're going to pay you 100% commission, then by goodness, they're going to have you know, a fairly substantial desk fee. They're not going out and renting a large office space and giving you a desk and a telephone and providing you signs and just saying, oh, I'm just a good guy. You know, they're, they're going to charge you some form of a fee, and then normally what happens is, is that there's usually something like they may say to you, okay, it's going to be you know, like maybe it could be as high as, say, three or $400 a month. It could be like $400 a month. That's the fee. Okay, you pay me that fee, you're going to get all the commission that, that's earned on the transaction. And then they actually may go where they may say it's $400 a month, but after you've hit a certain limit, like after you have paid, as an example, maybe, uh, I don't know, $10,000 that year, what's going to happen after that? Anything after that, there's no more fees. So there's going to be some way you really do need to understand how that commission structure is laid out, how it's worked. 
because it, it, it hurts when you go out and you put a lot of time and effort into working and selling property and then come home and get your first commission check and find out that you thought you were going to get six or seven thousand dollars only to find out you're getting you know two thousand dollars because of the fact of some fees you have to pay so you want to know what they are up front and you want them in writing okay uh, okay it talks about commission agreements okay so we did that okay another thing that they point out here and I'm just kinda hopscotch and going through here some of the things uh, one of the things that you may be asking them is who answers the telephone in the office Okay, um, let me see. Uh, who answers the telephone in the office is an important issue because it determines how you'll give priority to uh, your tasks and budget your time. Uh, the term in here that you'll see in this paragraph is something called floor time. What floor time is is that when you work for a real estate office, they typically will take and put ads in the newspaper. They will put, uh, like, uh, for example, an ad in the Sacramento Bee saying there's an open house on Saturday or Sunday. If they Usually the types of ads that they're going to run are ads that will generate traffic. In other words, you're not going to, you know, usually if you read the ads, they usually make the house look really nice, like three-bedroom, two-bath house, maybe in a specific area in which, by goodness, if, if you saw something that yeah, was three-bedroom, two-bath, 2,000 square feet with a swimming pool for $350,000, that would attract a lot of people. In other words, if there's a house that they really think that's a gem, that's the one that they're going to advertise. So what's going to happen is they'll have a phone number there, and guess what? The people are going to call in and say, I'm interested in that three-bedroom, two-bath house. The whole concept behind that is to get people calling you. Now, that house may not fit everybody that calls, but the idea is that people are calling you and saying, listen, I'm interested in the house. You tell them about the house. And then they say, well, you know, I didn't realize, I didn't realize that it was only, you know, 1,400 square feet or I need a bigger house or whatever. And the concept behind it is then you're able to say, because you're knowledgeable in the inventory, to say, well, we have a couple of the houses that may fit your needs, and that's how you're developing a clientele. Well, a lot of times when you're a new agent, you're concerned about getting that floor time because they're putting out the money. So you're getting floor call, you're getting calls in some cases like, hey, is Pat there, <laughs> you know? Uh, or it can be like signs on, um, um, on for sale signs on houses. Every house that's out there that's for sale by a brokerage, if somebody drives by and writes the number down, guess what? They're calling in, calling on, on this, open houses. So floor time is when you're getting a lot of phone calls coming in, and you're answering and the idea is that you're going to convert those people to clients, if that makes sense to you. Okay? That's what you want to do. The next thing they talk about here is something called large versus small offices. This is something that's of a personal opinion. You're going to find out that large offices, the Keller Williams, the Lions, the Caldwell Bankers, they have large staffs. Uh, some of those uh, organizations have large training staffs. In other words, they just have people there that are no, their whole job is to just train. You know, train you on setting up your website, train you on doing open houses, train you on all that stuff. So you may find yourself saying, listen, I want to go to work for a company that's going to provide me a lot of training in the bidding. I really need that training. I really need that help. Or you may find out that you want to work for a smaller company. And they may not provide as much training, but it might fit the way you feel. It might be more comfortable for you. So you want to find out which is going to be the best. Moving on. This agreement right here is a sample agreement. And all I'm going to do is mention to you... Um, it's an application for a sales associate. This is, this is the application part that you're going to fill out when you're applying for the job with them. 
which they're going to do is look and to see where did you work, what kind of experience you had, kinds of things like that. It's like an application process. It's not the employment contract, it's just an application. Almost all jobs or all activities start out with some form of an application. You know, uh, and, and the applications in some cases are very, very important. You know, I mean, people will re, you know, I've sat on the other side of hiring faculty and look at applications and go, oh my goodness, this is terrible. <laughs> you know, I mean, so the application is very, very important that it's filled out correctly. But this is just giving you an example of what an application may look like that you may be asked to fill out. Okay, and you can see this from in your book. You probably can't see it from here too well. Okay. And so I'm going to move on to the uh, other form that you have in here, and that's the actual uh, independent contractor agreement. This agreement is an agreement that you are forming with the broker. This is the part that after you have decided that you are going to work for this real estate broker, this is what you're going to be filling out or it's going to be maybe either be typed or filled out ahead of time. This is the part that's going to talk about who's going to pay the expenses, what the commission splits are going to be, uh, things like, hey, listen, if I work for the company for six months and decide to leave after six months, what happens to those homes that I have listed for sale? What happens to those? You're going to find out one thing that's interesting is those listings belong to the broker, okay? They belong to the broker, not to you as a salesperson, okay? So if you're going to leave the company, you may be concerned with the thing like, listen, if this doesn't work out or I have to move out of town, what happens to those listings? What happens to those sales activities that I have? Is there somebody going to be appointed to them? Somebody going to be taking them over? And how am I going to get, am I going to get any money out of it? That's why you need to read this. That's why I'm saying, you, you know, before you sign this contract or any contract, you need to read the whole contract. And anything you don't understand, make sure you highlight it and say, I need to find out what in the world this statement means. What exactly are you really talking about? And you want to make sure that you read this whole entire thing in a time period in which, uh, who's got a cell phone? Cell phone on? Okay. I'll keep talking, but if you find your cell phone, please turn that off. Okay. Um, so anyway, it's going to talk about things like workers' compensation. It's going to talk about what kinds of licensed activity that you're going to be doing. So it's really important that you read this document completely. Because if you, if you and the broker get in any kind of a disagreement, guess what's going to come out? Disagreement. They're going to say paragraph 15 or whatever it is says this. That's why I'm allowed to do that. And you go, I didn't remember reading that. <laughs> you get, you can't, that you're not, that's not going to work. You know, that doesn't work. You need to make sure that you understand it, okay? So anyway, this agreement goes on and on and on. Um, it talks about all sorts of things, uh, partners and teams. That's another thing that's coming up recently because what's happening now is that people have gotten together and they've said, you know what, this, you know, Joe over here is really good at listing property. He does really good. He likes to get on the phone. He likes to call people up, follow up on for sale by owners. He's really good at that. But that's about all he's good at. You know, he's good at getting the listing. That's what he's good at. But when it comes to time management, he's terrible. You know, when it comes to following through on details, he's terrible. Okay? He's not crooked. He's not wrong. He's not doing anything illegal. It's just it's not a strong point. So what we're going to do is we're going to put him together with her over there. Now, she's really well organized. She doesn't like to make phone calls. He does, but she doesn't, okay? But she's really well organized. She does real well at making sure the listings are put in correctly in, 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 in the, in the um, 
multiple listing system. She makes sure the costs are there. She makes sure all the documents gets to the escrow at the right time. She's really good at that. Either one, if you put them separately, they're not going to make it in the real estate business. But if you put the talents of the two of them together, they're going to be very successful. So you find out that people are working in teams now. So the question is, how do you handle that? Also, you're finding out that more successful agents are hiring somebody called a, uh, an assistant. That's another way that people can sometimes get into the business where they decide that they're going to work for an assistant who in a lot of cases, a lot of people that are very outgoing and very good at getting business are terrible at organizational skills. I mean, they really need somebody to keep them organized. They're really bad at that. You know, I mean, if you know of anybody that's, uh, that's, that's an administrator, you know, that has to go to a lot of meetings and st stuff like that, like even the President of the United States, there's somebody who keeps his calendar. Otherwise, he'd get lost. He wouldn't know where he was going. So a lot of times having an assistant is what these people need. So you're going to see teams come together to do that. And the whole idea is you're making small little collective teams within an office that share expenses and have a certain strategy. Um, you'll also notice they'll have things here such as I was mentioning before, what happens when you're terminating the agreement. So it'll say upon termination what happens, the termination of the relationship, and then also too if you have any kind of disagreement, how are you going to, come, how are you going to resolve that? You're going to go to court. You're going to get a mediator to mediate whatever the problem is. You need to know what that is up front. Okay? And that's why underneath the last page of this, it talks about something called uh, dispute resolution. This is where you want to be cognizant of that, dispute resolution, whether you're going to go through mediation or arbitration. Uh, personal assistance, how you're going to handle that. Personal assistance has gotten to be a big issue nowadays because a lot of times what's happened and the way this kind of got happened is you'd have real estate agents that were doing really well, and what they'd do is they'd say, you know what, I just have no time to do anything else. And then maybe it'd start out where their son or their daughter that was going to high school or college would turn around and say, well, hey, Mom, you want some help? And so you'd start helping them. And, you know, they'd say, listen, if you can take care of those things for me, listen, I'll, instead of paying, I'll up your allowance. <laughs> you're, you're giving me more free time. And they say, hey, I love that. You know, I don't have to get a job. I can just help you out. The issue with personal assistance, though, is, is the fact of what is stuff that's personal assistance. In other words, what activities can they do that does not require a license? And what activities are they going to do that can require a license in trying to keep those people out of, the, out of trouble? What you're going to find out is, is that if you go out, for example, and you're working with, a, working with a real estate agent as an assistant and you're not licensed, you can do things like go out, drive your car out, put the signs up, you can go to the printer and get the print, you know, printing made of the open house flyers. You can uh, make the donuts, get the coffee ready, let the people in the door. Okay, but the minute you start talking about finding property, in other words, doing something that's going to get compensation involved in it, you know, like showing them other property, getting on the computer and giving them lists of property, you're required to have a license. And so the reason why the brokerages have these things in the contract is they want to warn you as agents, listen, anybody that's working for you that you even decide to hire, you know, informally, your son or daughter, and they start doing some things, make sure that they're aware that you, they're not crossing the line where a license is required. You know, and you can see that happen really easily. You know, mom just spent a whole bunch of money to put, have an open house on Saturday. Old Pat, her kid, you know, is going to show up there, and guess what? Mom's late, right? So all passes, oh, I'll take care of it, and people start showing up. Next thing you know, you're on the computer showing people houses and doing all kinds of things. You're doing licensed activity. You can get in trouble. You, not you can, you will get in trouble for it, okay? So that's what they're trying to do. And the brokerages 
or even going one step further to have you, if you do have a personal assistant, have the personal assistant sign an agreement that they're not aware of what the limitations are. Okay, that's why you'll see some personal assistants will just turn around and get a brokerage license, uh, or not a brokerage, but a sales license, because just even if they're not going to be selling it, just to, to keep themselves out of trouble, because it's very easy to get yourself in trouble. Um, Next thing is, is they talk about in here planning and goals. And one of the things that I wanted to mention here is they talk about something called your sphere of influence. And the concept here is that when you first go into the business, and we had an agent in here that does like $20 million a year here a couple semesters ago, Carrie Lane works for Remax, and he talked about this. You know, The thing is, is that when you go into business, any kind of a business, the first thing that you should be doing once you've conscientiously made that decision is sitting down and making a list of all those people that you know, all of them, your friends, your relatives, people that you've worked with, everybody. You should be making a list of them. That's fear of influence. These are people that hopefully know you well enough that maybe will trust you. These are people that you're going to send some kind of a, a mail to, an email to, a message, a letter, a phone call, something to say, listen, I'm in the real estate business. I passed my license. I really kind of want to help you out if you're looking or you know somebody. I work for, you know, Lion Realtors. I work for Remax, whatever it is. Give them a business card so they know you're in business. The funny thing is that's important because I've seen a lot of real estate agents that go into business and don't tell people. And then they find out that their brother or their sister buys a house and they never even knew. They didn't tell anybody. So you want to tell everybody. That's why it's so important that you pick the right company to start with because you don't want to go back and tell everybody and then come back a month later and say, I changed my mind. I'm with somebody else. Okay? So you really want to have that sphere of influence. That's the first place where you're going to actually start letting people know that you're in the business. Okay? And, uh, again, that, very, very important. Uh, a couple of the terms that they use in here, I'm going to read this out so that we can make sure that we get it. It says immediately, immediately, contact friends, relatives, past and present co-workers, trades and service people who are in your geographical farm area. Geographical farm area means this. Once you pick out that area where you would like to work, where you feel comfortable that you would like to work, it's an area that interests you, you want to start becoming extremely knowledgeable about that area. And the reason why you want to do that is so that you can keep in contact with the people that live in that area. It's not uncommon if, you, uh, if you're living, uh, like even where I live, I, mean, I, get mail, uh, um, I get mail, for example, I, and I'll bring them in, a flyer from one of the real estate agencies in a local area that'll just say, hey, by the way, it's a one-page flyer. I mean, back and front, this guy is really cheap. But I'll tell you, my wife just can't wait to get that thing because what it does is it shows the houses that are on the market in the area. You know, and it shows what the sales price is and how long they've been on the market for. And every single solitary person that owns a house in that area is interested in that sheet because they want to know, hey, guess what? That house that's down the street, how much is it selling for? And the reason why they want to know that is because if that's going up in value, that means there's a good chance their house has gone up in value. So it's a good way to keep in contact with people. You'll see other people, once they start doing things like, for example, if they have a listing, if they list a house for sale and they put a sign up, in that area. They'll go around and pass out flyers, you know, like if you're going to have an open house, you know, and like on a Saturday or a Sunday, a lot of people feel a little bit nervous about going in the neighbor's house. You know, geez, I really don't want to do that, you know, I feel uncomfortable with that. If you go around and let people know, hey, listen, come on down, I want you to see the house, you know, it's, uh, I have donuts and coffee there for you, 
you're inviting them. And guess what? Those people can do what? Be potential clients in the future. Okay? Because if they're satisfied that you know the area and that you know you're doing a good job with them and they get ready to sell their house, they may not even they may not even know that three months from today they're gonna house is gonna be on the market, something's gonna change. Uh, they may very well call you. Okay, so in other words, doing things to let people know that you're in the business is very, very important. Okay, that's what that is. Um, okay, um, they're going down through here something here called the sales kit. Um, this is things that um, I know this sounds kind of silly, but this only makes sense when you think about the fact that you are going to be out. If you're sitting in your office, either at home or at work, you're not making any money. What you should be doing is you should be out doing something to meet clients. That means, and you're, you can be very busy doing that. I mean, you, on Tuesdays usually is when we have what we call the multiple listing service meetings. They're usually at 8 o'clock. Uh, here in Sacramento, up in El Dorado County, there on Thursdays. Those are where all the agents get together. You're going to be spending, say, for example, Tuesdays just going out on home tours, going and looking at lots and lots and lots of houses. They all caravan around and take a look at houses. Why? So that you're familiar with what's on the market. So the point is, is that if you're doing your job well, you're going to be out of the office on a pretty regular basis. You're not going to be sitting at your office. If you're sitting there drinking coffee and eating donuts, you're not doing your job. You need to be out of the office, looking at houses, previewing houses, showing houses, doing something. But it stands to reason if you're going to be out of the office that you're going to have to have some materials with you when you're out. You don't want to get out 10, 20, 30 miles from your house and say, you know what, I can take that listing tonight, but I don't have the, list I don't have the paperwork with me. So all they're doing here is saying, listen, when you go out, when you're getting ready to go, you need to be thinking about what kinds of materials you need to be bringing with you so that when you get there, you have everything you need. And so this is sort of like a memory jogger. They're telling you need to have a, phone, a cell phone and a charger. That's really important. You get out in the middle of nowhere and your cell phone runs dead. You can't call, <laughs> you call the client. Laptop, computable, portable printer. Uh, portable printer. Um, you need things like any kind of any software that goes on your computer. You're going to need things like if you're taking a listing, you'll need to have a measuring tape. They expect you to go around and take some measurements or at, look, at least look like you know what you're doing, taking measurements of the house so that you know how large the house is. You'll need to have things like rulers and pencils so you can write down the floor plan. Okay. Um, you'll need to have a package of all the forms that you're normally going to get, like listing agreement forms, addendum forms, purchase order forms, all those things you can buy at the Board of Realtors, by the way. Sacramento Association of Realtors has a store, a bookstore downstairs that sells all these forms. Or if you've got a laptop computer with you, there's a program you can have running on it calling WinForms. WinForms is an electronic copy of all those forms. So all you need to do is have your laptop with you and the program on there, which you get when you become a realtor. And you could sit there and print the form out. You can either fill it out and then print it or just print it out. So you could have every single solitary form that you would ever need on the laptop with you at all times. Somebody says, I want to rent the property, you got the rental form. So you don't have to carry a big box of forms with you, just the laptop and the, and the program is all you need. Um, you need multiple listing sheets. You need, um, you know, these are all just contracts that you may need. They're just, you know, different types of contracts, but if you have wind forms, you'd have them all there. You do need to have things such as escrow closing sheets for computing the seller's net. What that essentially means is when you sit down, the typical thing is when you go into a client's house, 
to list the property. You're going to show up. You're going to bring the doorbell. You're going to shake their hand. They're going to come in. They're going to give you water or a cup of coffee or something. In about 10 or 15 minutes, you're somewhere along the line. You're going to get down where they're going to be asking you, okay, how much should I sell my house for? That's the first question they're going to ask you. It, it may take 5, 10, 15 minutes, but they're going to ask you for that. If you've done this properly before you've ever gone out there, you've gone out there and done a check in the multiple listing system, and you know what houses have sold for in the area, and you've done something called the comparative market analysis and brought it with you. So you can say, listen, let me help you out here. Here are the homes that are sold for in the area. This home had a pool. This one didn't have a pool. This had a three-car garage. This had a two-car garage. You can kind of clear it up so you can help them set the price. You're also going to have already called the title insurance company and gotten what they call a property profile. So you have a copy of the grant deed, the deed of trust, the plat map of the property. This is all free, by the way, with the dimensions of the property. You're going to have all that information with you, okay? And what's going to end up happening is after you've discussed that from a philosophical standpoint, you're going to pick a number, you know, 300000 400000 some price for the house. And they're going to be asking you to, you know, after they say the price, what they're really asking is not the price. They're saying, how much money am I going to walk away with? How much money am I going to be able to walk away with at the end of this transaction? What that means, you're going to have to be able to sit down and calculate all those costs. You know, sales price, commission, escrow fees, title fees, documentary fees, property taxes, all that kind of stuff. And that's why they're saying that you're going to need to have one of the, these sheets, okay? The escrow uh, closing sheets, okay? The schedules of title and escrow fees that people are going to be paying, okay? Because if it, uh, based on $400,000, their escrow f title fees are going to be one amount. If it's higher, it's going to be higher. You know, it's, so you're going to have to calculate that. Uh, you're going to need some other things to make sure you have with you. Most of the agents that I know nowadays have always bring business cards. They always have a camera. Most people have digital cameras today. Uh, usually what will happen is they'll take a listing, they'll take photographs, and, and you don't have to take them to the thing. They just download them and put them up on the website or send them out. I mean, it's all done electronically anymore. You'll need to do things like either have a program or some way to do a loan amortization. What that essentially means is that the client, if you're working with a buyer especially, will say to you, listen, if I pay $350,000 for this house and my, and my interest rate is 6% 30, for 30 years, amortized for 30 years, what's my monthly payments going to be? You're, that's what you're, you know, you're, your offer, when you're working with them filling out an offer, that's the things that they're going to be asking you. What they're really concerned about is what is my monthly payment going to be? So if you say $350,000, they're going to want to say, okay, well, what is my total monthly payment? Okay, your property taxes are going to be this. Your insurance is roughly this. Your principal and interest is so much of this. You're going to need to have some way of calculating that. And you can do that using computers. They also have calculators that are specifically designed to do those kinds of calculations. But the clients, put yourself in their shoes. You know, you want to sell your house, okay, or you want to buy, your, buy a house. What kinds of questions would you be asking and you would want to know the answer to before you made that decision? You need to be placed in the same, you need to be thinking about the same kind of situation. Okay, um, you know, a lot of these other things, flashlights, pens, pencils, I mean, it's amazing. I, I'm surprised at how I have seen people not show up with this stuff. I'm, I'm just absolutely amazed. It's kind of like when we've given interviews here, you know, for people, you know, to get work here at the college and have somebody that the day, they'll come in late for the interview, late, like a, an hour late for the interview. And you know what their excuse is? I couldn't find the place. And I go, hmm, 
You mean to tell me that we went through all this effort of going through all these applications to have you show up and you didn't even spend the time to figure out how to get to the college campus? I don't think so, <laughs> you know. It's the same thing, you know. It's amazing to me how many people don't do those basic things. They show up and say, geez, if I had a pen, I'd fill out the contract, you know. Go, you know, I mean, it's, it's silly, you know. Uh, some of the other things that they're mentioning that you're going to need in here are things such as um, lock boxes. Nowadays, these are all electronically um, uh, controlled. There's a little device that you put next to them that uh, just goes zzz and it unlocks the box. It's where you put the keys for the house and everything. Um, you know, street maps, Thomas guides, just all the things that you would normally need to do because you're going to be out. If you're, especially if you're showing properties and you have a client that you really feel good with, they really feel comfortable, you think things are really working, and you've shown them a lot of houses and you've been out on the MLS tours and you know of a couple of houses that are really going to work or, or, or they see something and, or they've told you, you're going to need to find out how the heck to get there. So having the maps to get around are really, really important. And some of the newer subdivisions, by the way, may not even show up on the maps for quite some I had that happen to me here. Well, I've had it happen a lot of times, you know, where, you know, you look up the street, you can't find it on the Thomas Brothers map because it hasn't been updated yet. And don't count on the computer either. I have found that th that happens to be, they'll have you drive if you want to get from here to Land Park. You look at the directions on the MapQuest, they'll say, okay, go east. <laughs> You know, on um, on 12th, all the way down, take the freeway down to Stockton, come back up 5. You know, you go, yes, it will get me to Land Park, but there's an easier way to get there, you know. Okay. Um, okay, and some other things in there, showing properties, becoming an expert in the area. It really does, it really does become important. People are looking for you for your expertise. It, that's why going around and looking at every single property that comes on the market that's in your geographical area is really important because you have a really good feel for what it is. I can't say enough about the fact that if I took this entire group of people out of sitting in this class and I said, listen, for the next three or four weeks, we're going to meet every Tuesday. And we're going to all get in our own cars or our motorcycles or however we're going to get around. And we're going to look at all the new listings that are on the market in the geographical area where we want to work. And I'll tell you, at the end of that month, you guys would have a pretty good feeling for what price properties sell for. You'd have a pretty good feeling of what the neighborhoods are like. You'd be a really good source of information about what, you know, where the, the good areas are to buy, where the areas are that need, have some properties that need to be fixed up, where the multiple family, uh, uh, multiple unit properties are, where the shopping centers are. It's really important. And the only way you find out is just by getting up and going out there and doing it. You know, it's amazing. It's through osmosis. Okay. Uh, then they go down here and they just talk about some factors leading to success. I'm sure you can go over these on your own, but uh, you know, suffice it to say that anybody that I've ever seen that's really done well at real estate or anything done real well at life, they have certain characteristics in place. Number one, they really enjoy what they're doing. It's kind of strange, you know. People that are successful seem to like what they're doing. They enjoy it. Uh, they also tend to be very knowledgeable, you know. I mean, people that I've worked with, you ask them a question, they really seem to know the answer. Not only just an answer, but they can explain it. You know, they're very good at explaining it. Um, they're very tenacious. In other words, it doesn't seem like anything really stops them. If they find something's not working, they find a different way to make it work. You know, they find a different way. If, the, if this method of financing is not going to work, they'll find another way. Uh, they're well organized. You know, so you look at all those characteristics, and you, there's nothing in there about funny jokes, funny stories, or anything else. It's just a, somebody that really likes what they're doing, 
is going to work hard, keep up on what's going on, and do their hard, best work they can for their clients. They seem to do well. And then you go back and you talk to people that have been in the business 25, 30 years, and you say, well, how do you get your clients? And they go, well, you know, it's just people seem to call up. I don't know where they're coming from. Well, why do they call up? Because they've done a good job for their clients all those years. You know, now they're selling houses not only to the, they're selling houses to the, the parents, the grandparents, the kids. They're selling it to everybody. Why? Because they've established a good relationship. That's the same thing like if you go to a dentist. You know, you ever think about it for a minute, how many people in a dentist, you don't see a dentist standing on the street corner going, I pull teeth, you know, you know, or I drill teeth. The way that they get their business is because their patients are happy with what they're doing. And when somebody goes and says, you know, listen, I need to go have some teeth work done, who would you recommend? And they say, hey, listen, go to this guy here. He's really great. You know, he doesn't give me any pain. He makes me feel good, you know. That's why you're doing well. So anyway, I think it's a good idea for you to go through down through here of what basically are the factors that take to be successful. And it just goes on and on and on with what is important. And we're getting pretty close to the end. Um, there is one thing in here that they talk about why salespeople fail. Uh, they say just as it's difficult to define success, it's also difficult to label the unsuccessful salesperson because success varies with unpredictable market conditions, types of offices, and social environments in each office. Every salesperson approach may not be suitable for every type of sale. You must know your buyers and your sellers. Okay, suffice it to say, uh, you know, usually the people that are don't do well at this, they don't do those basic things. They don't get up on Tuesday morning and go out and look for properties for sale. They just don't become knowledgeable. They don't keep organized. They don't keep up to what's going on. They spend too much time sitting around the office drinking coffee and eating donuts and complaining why the market is bad. I have always been amazed, absolutely amazed, at how you will have agents in the office and go, oh, the market is terrible. No houses are selling. And then all of a sudden you'll see some brand new agent over there and they're listing houses and selling them. And you go over there and you talk to them and you say, well, you seem to be doing okay and these other guys are not. And they say, well, she say, well, why shouldn't I be doing okay? And they say, well, didn't you know the market was terrible? No, nobody told me. Am I supposed to act some other way? You know, nobody told me I was not supposed to work hard. You know, I mean, and so these people talk themselves into not doing well. You know, I mean, you realistically need to think about, you know, I mean, it's really kind of funny. I've seen that happen so many times, I just can't believe it. You know, they just sit there and talk themselves into it. So anyway, we're getting pretty close to the end. What we're going to be doing the next time, just so that you know, we're going to be talking more about the broker kind of watching my time here. I think I have about another 40 seconds or so to go, if I'm correct. Um, we'll be finishing up the next time with something talking about the broker. We'll be talking about, you know, the agency representation, disclosure. We'll be talking about directing and supervising people. And we're pretty much going to be working at completing off this part of Chapter 1. Please remember that when you come here the next time, bring your textbook with you, okay? Get ready and prepared to write notes. Make sure that you go and please try this streaming stuff that I put up there that I worked so hard for. I'd really appreciate it and let me know if it works okay for you. With that, we will see you back here the next time for show number three. Thank you very much.